Hey there, it's Carla. And before we start today's podcast, I want to take a second to try and convince you to start your own ECE podcast. It is so rewarding for yourself as a podcaster, but also the benefits to the field and the people around you are exponential. So if you are thinking about it even just a little bit, I encourage you to join me in my free masterclass called The Six Key Decisions to Make Before Starting Your Own ECE Podcast. Head on over to elfoundations.com slash podcast masterclass and you can sign up for the day and time that works for you and I will walk you through those six key decisions to make before you even hit record. Hope to see you there. Welcome to the Everything EC Podcast. I'm your host, Carla Ward, and joining me today is Angelica Zelinska, who is an early childhood advocate, lecturer, and the founder of The Voice of Early Childhood, a platform for sharing the voices of early childhood community through articles, a weekly podcast, conferences, and action research projects. And today she's going to talk to us about active advocacy for early childhood. So I am super, super excited to have her here, and I hope that you walk away with lots of actionable plans. Welcome to the show, Angelica. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me. It's brilliant to be on, and like I was just saying, brilliant to be a guest for once. Yes, and that leads perfectly into you are the voice of early childhood. That is the name of your podcast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that feeds right into our topic today about advocacy, more importantly, active advocacy. So Mm -hmm. before we go too far, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became the voice of early childhood. Yeah, thank you. So it's a big question. Where do I begin? So yes, I'm the founder and director of The Voice of Early Childhood, which is my platform for sharing voices in the early childhood community on an international scale. And I got there, I guess, kind of through my long journey in early childhood so far. So I was a practitioner in many different settings and different roles for about 10 to 15 years. And then, so working directly with children and supporting staffs, training and development as well. And then I went into being an editor for various companies and still within early childhood education. So that moved me into content and further training for staff. And I could feel like I could really make a difference that way than just being in the rooms because I felt like I had more to give in terms of, you know, my passion was about upskilling educators. So yeah, I did that for a while, the the kind of content side of things. And then I thought, well, actually, I really want to do this by myself and start up my own platform. And that's how the Voice of Early Childhood came about, mainly because I wanted to start a podcast because I was listening to podcasts that were not early childhood based. And I really wanted to find one that was early childhood based because that's my passion. That's what I wanted to listen to. But I couldn't really find anything out there. I only listened to UK-based ones anyway, so I guess I I wasn't aware of yours, (laughs) otherwise I would have found it. But yeah, I couldn't find one that was exactly kind of what I was looking for and that kept me coming back like the other podcasts were. So I couldn't find anything out there that was consistent in terms of, you know, weekly that I can kind of think, okay, every Monday I'm going to listen to this and I know it comes out this time, it's going to be part of my daily routine or weekly routine and something that is high quality to listen to, you know, you can 
it is a pleasure to listen to. And then the main thing was something that I could really delve into deeply, you know, reflecting on my own practice or my own kind of studies or research or reading and also listening to the voices, the wide voices in early childhood where I could kind of really grasp bigger issues and not just like surface level things and the, the usual conversations that we may hear of like how do we support outdoor play and etc you know some something a bit more to kind of dig your teeth into that's what I was missing so I thought well I'll create it and that's what's happened now. I freaking love that and <laughs> you have just touched on so many points that I try to drive home to people about why they should start a podcast is mm -hmm. you didn't just fall upon my podcast and and that's okay <laughs> but it goes to the point that there is so much room for ECEs to start podcasts it's mm, not yeah. oversaturated we need more podcasts for early childhood educators out there and to your point we all have that specific thing that we need mm, that may not yeah. be out there so we should all be starting it and that is such a big part of advocacy and that's what you've done is you mm -hmm. weren't getting what you needed as an educator so you made it happen mm -hmm. yeah exactly and I love that you say that there is space for more um because I actually I saw something and I saw something the other day which did make me really insecure and I guess that's part of being um a business owner as well and you know starting your own thing and I saw something that was looked fantastic and it was and I thought oh my gosh this is is this competition to me you know, I saw it on Instagram and it was a new platform or, or maybe not so new I don't know but instantly I was like oh my god this is such a worry because they they look great and then what do I look like in comparison to them or like what does my brand look like and and then I started to reflect on that and actually think no well what they're offering is completely different and the 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 kind of the target market their market is completely different and you know their niche is different and there's a space for both of us and the reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because of the advocacy and it's not necessarily just content etc so I started to kind of really unpick what it is that I'm doing and why it's important to me and kind of that identity that I have and th that kind of feeds into what I'm really passionate about is reflecting, reflecting on yourself. So like those insecurities that you may have of like, I'm not good enough or someone's better than me or someone's content is better than mine, or there's not enough room for another podcast. Actually, maybe that insecurity is trying to tell you something of like, okay, there's something deeper to dig into there. There's something that you need to unpick and reflect on rather than go with that instant emotion. Oh, hundred percent. And Fear is essentially the driving force behind that. And it is so mm. our first instinct because for way back hundreds of thousands of years ago, we were in survival mode. And I think we're still mm. so much operating like that, but especially for advocacy, working with children, starting a podcast, lean into the fear because what's on the other side of it is so incredible. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Actually, that really reminds me of something that I'm really passionate about. And actually, it's a brand, um, Seek Discomfort. I don't know. Um, I think they're kind of, they are part of like Yes Theory. So I think it even initially started as YouTubers and they are basically, they're all about, so I think the, the two brands, Yes Theory and Seek Discomfort, I'm not exactly sure kind of how it all works together, but they're really focused on literally encouraging people to seek discomfort and saying yes to things and I am really passionate about that and really take their messages on board of and you can 
only really grow when you step outside of your comfort zone. And I say that to my students all the time when I'm lecturing on, on early childhood courses, doing any training, I always say, you know, you, you really need to step out of what you're used to, out of what you're comfortable in, and then you can start to push beyond your limits, beyond your boundaries. So I'm really passionate about that. And it, it doesn't always sound very nice, especially when we talk about fear and insecurities, but actually that is the only way you're going to grow. 100%. I teach an entire course on yes spaces. And one thing that I mentioned is that the average toddler hears no 400 times a day. Oh my God, a day? I thought you might have said like a week. <laughs> no, a day. And it's absolutely wild because we're conditioned as adults because we heard no growing up. No, don't do that. No, don't touch. Like be careful, Yeah. right? And if we all just take a step back and again, face that fear, get uncomfortable, nothing can stop us because we've got that little voice in the back of our head of no, don't say what you're thinking about early childhood. Don't, you know, mm -hmm. go stand on a platform and stand up for what you believe in. Don't message the governor, the minister, the mayor, whatever it is, right? Because mm -hmm. that little voice wants to keep us safe. But when we speak up about things that are so important, great things happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I guess there is that fear of being controversial and not saying things which are common and where people will agree with you. And that is really unfortunate because then we just hear the same messages, the same rhetoric, and we're not moving things on. And that's where then that advocacy doesn't happen. So yeah, I think people, you're, you're so right, people do need to say yes more. And in terms of saying yes more to children or maybe at least not maybe not always saying yes to children but um, not using the word no so much I guess it's about kind of and this is the same for adults saying or thinking I'm not sure about this or I wonder why this is uncomfortable for me and again it's part of reflection isn't it it's reflecting on why you don't want to necessarily say yes straight away or why you don't necessarily want to speak up, why you are inclined to take a step back or say no. And I guess voicing that actually allows you to open up that kind of conversational space, that dialogue with yourself, with anyone else as well, so that you really are unpicking kind of the complexities there. And I guess like really problematizing the issue rather than just saying, okay, it's a yes or a no, or this is the answer, or that's the answer. So-and-so is right, so-and-so is wrong. Actually, let's problematize it. Let's think about all of the different challenges here. Let's think about all the different options. Let's consider what our experiences and feelings are around whatever the issue is. Yes. And can I just tell you, I absolutely love that word, problematize. Mm. <laughs> it's not used enough, like, is it? <laughs> no, I was like, what a great word. Because mm -hmm. absolutely, we don't want to say yes if a child is putting themselves in danger, but we have to pause to ask, are they in danger? Or mm -hmm. are we yeah. about to create a fear in them that's really mm -hmm. a fear in us? And it goes back to that reflection piece that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Yes. And always reflecting in terms of like when you mentioned here in terms of uh, safety and danger is the, now let me phrase this correctly, I've got it right in my head, <laughs> is the the kind of the risk, that, that re risk reward benefit, I guess, you know, I, I was going to say, and then I thought, oh, I think I'll get this wrong. <laughs> but yeah, you know, basically thinking, does that risk outweigh the reward of the learning potentially, you know, is the risk too high? And then we need to 
safeguard the child or actually if they do take that risk maybe if they do kind of fail I guess so to speak or maybe if they do hurt themselves a little bit in terms of like a bit of a bump and a bruise and a stumble are they actually going to learn so much more from that and you know this kind of goes out to forest schools and outdoor learning and things like that especially really links very well there it's always considering what learning opportunities will this provide the child and actually what learning will it stifle if we say no absolutely and think about all the adults we know who's holding themselves back because of something that they were stifled in their childhood if we don't Mm. let children take risks as children yes i said that right my brain like misfired (laughs) if we don't let children take risks when they are children Mm -hmm. do they become adults who don't know how to take risks in Mm -hmm. love in their career in just growth as an individual and that would be such a sad thing to happen to somebody yeah that is a really good point actually and I guess making mistakes and taking those risks and see and, and I guess failing learning to fail is bringing out the opportunities to kind of learn the fact that it's okay to fail and it's okay to make mistakes because then you can learn even more from that and it's okay because everybody makes mistakes and I guess especially this is so prominent in that those kind of power dynamics between the child and the adult because children do of course look up to adults and older children and they think they they do know it all and they've got everything figured out and that is far from the truth And actually, it's so important. And this goes back to kind of those different approaches and theoretical basis. Uh, So like the Reggio Emilia approach from Italy really focuses in on co-construction of knowledge and making sure that we see children and adults both as researchers and co-constructors of learning so that they investigate and ask questions together and find out rather than always coming to the adult and the adult having the answer. And I always go back to remembering when I was a practitioner in a woodland based learning setting and the one of one of the parents, so the mum of a little girl said to me, my my little girl always asks such complicated questions and I I have no idea what to say. I just I have I have no idea what the answer is and I just feel like I'm letting her down, etc. And I just said to her, it's okay, just tell her. I'm not sure. And I, I don't know the answer to this. And should we find out together? And I think there's so much beauty in learning together and showing children that lifelong learning exists that even when you are an adult and you're a parent or a teacher that you you are still learning and it's it is a journey and it's exactly what we were talking about in terms of creating a podcast starting a new business anything like that as well you know you're constantly learning and that is not just it's okay that is great you want to be constantly learning because there is so much to find out yes and life would be so boring if you did the same mm-hmm. thing day in and day out and why get up in the morning and do the same thing if you're not going mm-hmm. to make a difference in your life children's lives the people around you like I just I couldn't imagine not being a lifelong learner mm-hmm. and that that is the kind of attitude that we need to instill in our children and Therefore, we need to have those attitudes. So we need to model that. But I guess it's quite hard if we like going back to what you said earlier, you know, we as children haven't been brought up to think of ourselves as lifelong learners. And if we were encouraged to or almost like, I guess, discouraged to ask too many questions, because then we would be seen as we don't know the answer. And that's not good enough. So if we do have that 
perception of ourselves as adults of like we need to know the answer and if we don't we're going to keep it quiet and so it's not really a lifelong learning kind of attitude and that's hard to then model to children because we're not confident within ourselves of you know being learners so it, it is difficult to to switch that up and I guess retrain our brains to think differently and think of ourselves as a learner and it's okay to make mistakes etc but I think that's that's why it's important to I guess to have all take in all this different content that that we've got out there and that is free especially you know there's so much out there and learn from other people listen to podcasts read articles read books talk to people and that is encouraging us to ultimately you know we're learning constantly that's encouraging us to keep learning and we're taking in new information constantly every person we speak to we're taking in something new from them every interaction brings us something new so that in itself just taking in new information is then retraining our brains to think okay there's more to learn I'm learning I'm learning I'm constantly learning with every interaction everything I read everything I listen to so that's kind of like that natural I guess it breaks that cycle naturally absolutely and it's a form of advocating it because we're advocating Mm -hmm. for ourselves and yeah that's true it's somewhere to start right because how can you advocate for children if you aren't advocating for yourself Mm -hmm. yeah that's a really good point actually and we we as educators in particular need to have that confidence in order to stand up for ourselves in order to then stand up for what we believe in so it's having that agency to say you know this is what i think this is what i'm passionate about or this is what i've read or learnt and i believe that this is the right thing and it is really hard especially in education because there is kind of a lot of feeling of like feeling suppressed um by I guess people that are above us who are decision makers so even if it is you know people of power in government or maybe senior leadership teams so it can be really difficult to stand up and become advocates of ourselves as well and it all kind of is tied in with mental health and well-being so I guess it comes back to almost that phrase of like you've got to love yourself first before you can love someone else I think that's kind of linked there yes absolutely but let's say you know you've got the confidence you love yourself Mm -hmm. how do you break that barrier from being inside your classroom being at your desk being in a center breaking that barrier of advocacy to that next level like where would you start Mm, yeah that's a really good question because a lot of people don't really know what to do beyond the classroom I guess beyond like their school or nursery or setting wherever they are in and it is I believe it is all about connections so making connections outside of your bubble whether it is you know your school your friendship group whatever it is you know the people maybe that you talk to in in a professional sense like your colleagues actually breaking out of that and finding out new connections and different connections they may be people that are also passionate about what you do which is great so really making those connections with people kind of outside your bubble but closest to you and your passions already but actually then taking it a step further and trying to connect and have conversations with people outside of perhaps even like the education sphere if you are in education so I always talk about the fact that in in early childhood specifically we always kind of preach to the converted so we go to training days or conferences and events and things and actually it's full of the room is full of people who are doing the same work as us they are also in early childhood and we stand up and advocate 
you know, try to advocate to them. And of course, we are encouraging them to be advocates as well. But we are talking about the issues that we are all facing. So, you know, potentially funding issues and kind of staff recruitment, etc. But we already know all of this. And it's not really changing anything because we are just talking to each other in our own little bubble. So it's important to go out of that and talk to the people that don't even don't understand education potentially, don't understand the challenges that we're facing, don't understand our work, and maybe even people that disagree with us. And that is really tough because people will be like, I I don't agree with you, or what are you talking about? Or this isn't important, or why? Constantly asking why, and then you think, oh God, they don't get it. But then, you know, that being challenged, especially as a leader is so important, and as an advocate, of course, because that's what advocacy is all about. Going in, I think it's stepping. It's about stepping into spaces where you're prepared to be challenged. So, be having the experience of being challenged, I think, is really important. So, again, going back to stepping out of your comfort zone, and that's, I think, how you can advocate by stepping out of your classroom. I could not grab a pen fast enough to write some <laughs> of that down because you've nailed it. You've hit the nail on the head. When we go to conferences, we're already in rooms with those people who know that our pay is garbage, that our funding mm -hmm. is far and few between, preaching to the converted. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've never looked at it from that perspective myself. Mm -hmm. And I would consider myself an advocate. So I'm like, okay, I've got to level up because even on my <laughs> Instagram account, like my Instagram account is mostly educators. Mm -hmm. So Sliding into those DMs of people who are not educators and saying, hey, can we talk about XYZ in education? Mm -hmm. And I guess, especially for people like us who do have platforms and potentially leaders out there or maybe content creators or influencers who are advocating, you know, for what they're passionate about, it is, it can be easy to kind of become complacent and think, okay, so I've got this platform now, people are approaching me and people are following me or my platform, you know, they're hearing my message is great and I'm putting out more content, I'm advocating. But like you say, you know, it's the same people that keep following. And I think we have that duty to then also reach out to other people, like I was saying, outside of our bubble and really connect and advocate actively and that's what I mean by active advocacy you know not just kind of staying within your comfort zone I guess because yeah. every no matter how much work you've done in whatever it is that you're doing you know how much you've taken yourself out of your comfort zone and whatever you've achieved you will still reach points and you, you, I guess you're always at a stage of comfort and you always reach those points of doing the same thing that you've done although it is very impressive and very amazing and you may be doing so much more than what other people are doing but then because you're used to it you're comfortable now so it's again going back to reflection it's reflecting and recognizing that okay actually have I done anything different recently have I stepped out of my own comfort zone am I still doing the same thing over and over again and I guess especially if you do have your own platform your own business whatever it is it is that balance of thinking, okay, this is working. So, you know, you don't need to necessarily change what's already working. You know, you, you want to keep doing what's working. But then at the same time, you want to try new things. So it's getting that balance right. You know, don't, don't kind of change what already works. But at the same time, try something new as well, especially when it comes to advocacy. I think it's, it's something that I've not Again, I'm reflecting as I'm saying this. I've not really thought about this before. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I know exactly what you're saying. And I remember last year I interviewed somebody who lives in a different province to me. And 
I promoted our episode to my platform, which is mostly early childhood educators. I Mm -hmm. emailed my email list, mostly early childhood educators. And I went on my way because that's what I do. Mm -hmm. She was my guest, also an early childhood educator. But what she did, which would by our definition be active advocacy, she tagged the premier of our of that province that she's in. And she said, you need to listen to this because these are the struggles of early childhood educators. And my stomach like sank. I was like, oh, <laughs> God, somebody is going to listen to this outside of like my circle. But it was so yeah. great because then I watched as more and more people kept tagging this premiere. And mm-hmm. did it make a difference in his life? I don't know. But <laughs> was he just that little bit more knowledgeable that we are out there? hundred mm-hmm. percent. So yeah. even little things like that make such a difference in our world. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with that. It's just those little steps that you can take to kind of get the ball rolling. And as someone, I can't remember who it was that I interviewed recently on my podcast, or maybe even I said it, you know what? I don't know, (laughs) but it's, um, maybe I wrote it somewhere, read it, but it's um, creating those little ripples of change. I really love that phrase. And yeah, it, it all starts small. And, and actually it, one of my so my first episode of 2024 was around advocacy and activism and it was Dr Nathan Archer and Dr Joe Albin Clark who are lecturers and advocates and researchers in in England and they discussed those small acts of advocacy and activism and I guess that is what I kind of call those little ripples of change because they don't have to be necessarily big things and gestures and things that are almost like big and scary and out like I know we were talking about getting out of your comfort zone but it doesn't always mean doing something really huge and big actually it does mean just doing either things that you do every day or you know like you mentioned reaching out to someone outside of your circle um tagging someone inviting someone to listen but also in terms of those small ripples of change so doing what you're doing every day is things like continuing to allow children to make choices in their learning, continuing to ensure that you provide opportunities for play-based learning. That is advocating in itself because you are supporting those practices that you believe in and that you know and that child development and kind of the theoretical theoretical knowledge that we have has proven that is the best for children's learning. You know, it's not those outcomes-based practices where children all sit and where they perform kind of rote-based learning and it's worksheet-based and they're sat at desks and things like that. Where if we do challenge those practices and we continue doing what we believe in, that is advocacy in itself. And it is still active, it's just kind of not as big and scary because there is risk involved with advocacy and especially activism because it's that risk of like you feeling at risk of being again challenged like we said earlier and at risk of people I guess confronting you in terms of if you know if you said something controversial and of course this is especially important for people who are worried about if they're representing their organization and you know will it have an impact on their role and their status etc do they want to be seen as someone who creates controversy and creates arguments and things like that you know so there is that kind of risk involved in terms of your own confidence and feeling insecure and things like that so of course it is hard to to actively advocate 
So there's always something that you can do, you know, from day to day practice to getting in touch with people. Yeah, absolutely. And even in, and I don't want to say it's on a smaller scale because when you're in the classroom, I don't think educators, and again, if you reflect, you can really realize it is, I don't think educators realize just how much of a difference they make in such a Mm -hmm. short period of time. Like, yes, you're with the kids all day, but what you do and the scale of what your impact is, is massive. And not just for the children, because talking about reaching out to people outside of your ECE bubble, you've got Mm -hmm. the parents. And if you're moving from Mm -hmm. say a theme-based to a play-based, you have to inform the parents and you almost have to educate them and explain to them because that's not how we were raised. We weren't raised necessarily play-based. And you're going to have a parent confront you. You're going to have to advocate. And that is no small feat, especially if a parent feels very hellbent, let's say, on their perspective of what you should be doing for their child. So that is a huge active advocacy piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. We are constantly day-to-day advocating when we have conversations with parents. That is definitely true. And when parents come to us and, you know, ask why we're not doing certain things with children and my child doesn't know how to write yet, or, you know, they they don't know their name and things like that, that they don't know how to write their name. And hopefully they know their name. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so we're constantly advocating day-to-day. And actually, on the topic of parents and families, they are also our biggest advocates as well, especially, you know, if they are on board with us and we do have that secure, safe, positive relationship built with them, they, parents will speak out and they do often, you know, on all of the different parenting platforms and they they are more likely actually to write to governments and officials, you know, on our behalf and because it, it is their most pri- priceless possessions that they are advocating for, essentially. You know, it, if they want their children to go to high quality settings, you know, educational establishments, then they need to make sure that they advocate for that, you know, especially if they, they, they know that there isn't enough funding and there isn't enough recognition for early childhood. And we need to communicate that. So I guess really ensuring that we do bring parents and families on board of that kind of advocacy journey that we are going through. Yes. And I think that's a definitely a key piece I missed when I was in the classroom. And I would certainly say mm-hmm. even now with my platform is I'm not asking parents to advocate for early childhood. Yeah. And that is a huge piece because parents, we give them this blanket definition of parents, but there's so much more than the parent, they are the doctor, the lawyer, the, you know, mm-hmm. the baby, like some of them are nannies as well as mm-hmm. like mothers, yeah. fathers, and they have so many different roles and access, not that we want to use people, but access to mm-hmm. so many different people. Mm, that's a very, very good point. And there is certainly strength in numbers. And that's what advocacy and activism is all about. And that's why I kind of, when you asked me that question at the beginning, and t- you know, about advocacy and how do we do that, I straight away kind of went to connection. And that is always kind of the place, I believe, to start. And you really need to kind of put all your energy into connections and relationships, because that is what really matters. That is what keeps everything going. You know, if you do have a connection to someone that is going to really support you in so many things that you do, because it's kind of that personal, emotional 
connection to someone that really allows them to trust you and you to trust them and you know do favors for each other etc and to really build that understanding and that mutual I guess passion for things that you both believe in amazing and completely and at the end of the day connection and relationships is what matters nobody wants to go through life Mm -hmm. alone and that doesn't necessarily Mm -hmm. mean you're in a partnership but you want to have friends you know a support system around you Mm -hmm. so absolutely connection and relationships hands down are the best way to start Mm -hmm. and Feeding into my next question is mm-hmm. you are actually hosting, I believe it's in person, but you are hosting mm-hmm. a fantastic conference leading with connection. Yes, that's right. So my conference, which is called the Voice of Early Childhood Conference, you know, really simple, exactly what the platform is. And it is all about giving the early childhood community a voice. And it is very much centered around, like you say, connection. And it is leading with advocacy, activism, agency and change. So the keynote is all about advocacy and activism. And then we will have different seminars, workshops all around different practices in early childhood and we have two different strands the leadership and the practical strand so that everybody's welcome you know whether you're a leader or whether you work with children in the rooms then you do have space at this conference you know you're welcome and the topics although they are practice based some of them and some of them are leadership based in terms of you know leading your team and etc they are based in advocacy in terms of things that we need to consider that will move our practice forward and allow us to advocate. So for instance, looking at the kind of the school readiness agenda, you know, getting children ready for school and whether it's about school readiness or intellectual readiness. And that in itself is such a huge topic that is steeped in advocacy for early childhood. So we're really unpicking topics like that. So it's not just a CPD event, you know, not just continuous professional development that you come listen, get a certificate and go home and I guess kind of sometimes forget about it all. The whole day and afterwards as well is you know, after that reflection that is encouraged after you leave the conference is all about shared reflection and shared dialogue and also debate and not just discussion. So making sure that we encourage advocacy by modeling that we can debate in a safe space there at the conference with people that, you know, we can trust that and that we understand that it is a professional space. So then that in itself gives people that power of advocacy that they can take with them outside of that conference environment. So everything about the conference is really centered around advocacy. And yeah, I should really say it is in person and it's on the 16th of March this year, uh, 2024. So if anybody who is listening fancies going, then of course, grab your tickets and you can find them on the Voice of Early Childhood website. So yeah, there's that kind of little picture. I love <laughs> it. <to> the conference. <laughs> No, I love it. And we'll make sure that all your Instagram podcast links Mm -hmm. and the link to the conference are all below so that people can connect with you and find out more about active advocacy. So Angelica, thank you so much for coming on today. I greatly appreciate it. And I feel like I'm walking away with almost a to-do list of next steps (laughs) for my advocacy journey. So thank you so much. Amazing. I love that. And thank you very much for having me.